Praise the Lord. I'm pointing at Trevor if you didn't know. Praise God. Thank the Lord for Tim and Shane and their family and uh, glad they're all together. All right. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, It's not just a day. It's a lifestyle, right? Right? Come on. You got to be there with me. It's a lifestyle. Okay? It's a lifestyle. It's not just uh, an American holiday. It needs to be a lifestyle. And we want to... uh, Go ahead this morning and look at our November memory verse. And uh, we were going over the verses in Colossians chapter 3. So if you take your Bible and turn there to Colossians chapter 3. Actually, this serves as our springboard into our theme for Christmas. This is more of a uh, Thanksgiving-themed message here today and uh, to cap off our our four-day weekend or whatever you had uh, to emphasize this business and this lifestyle of thanksgiving all about what God has given to us and we're going to look at at what we find when we open the gift of salvation here today that causes the Christian to have an ongoing lifestyle of thanksgiving. Okay? So, uh, this is, this is really, my friend, this is where the wellspring of thanksgiving is found. You know, we, we've, uh, up until the recent snow and, and rains that we've had, we've been in a, a drought situation. And, uh, to be able to find a, a wellspring of water for, uh, especially our farmers would be a special treat. And in the same vein of thinking, here's where we find thanksgiving in what God has done on our behalf. So please join me. Let's, let's bow in a, in a word of prayer as we get started here. And let's ask God to guide us and help us in this time. Lord, we do. We bow before you. We thank you that we can open up your word. We thank you that we are in a in a country that we still uh, have this freedom. Lord, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Lord, we are so guilty of piling up uh, truths in our mind, knowledge in our mind. But Lord, help us to be people that are doers of your word. Lord, we confess that we need you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in this time. Holy Spirit, uh, do your good work in, in pointing us to Christ, in instructing us in the things of your word now. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week uh, was a, a real joy and blessing. You knew I was going to bring it up for those that knew what I was about and what Noreen and I went to do. We got to go to Phoenix and spend time with our, our kids and grandkids there, but to hold a newborn baby. And many of you know that, especially you grandparents, you are holding your own grandchild there, and it's, it's an amazing uh, gift. I mentioned in our Sunday school class, um, little Livy did not 
come with any, uh, you know, little package under her arm when she was born. You know, there's nothing that comes other than she's ready to uh, get a diaper put on and get fed and sleep. Those kind of things are, you, you know, I mean, this is nothing new. But here's this gift of God. And your baby or your baby or your grandchild, it's a gift of God. And this is just one way, just one way that you and I can allow this wellspring of thanksgiving to just keep pouring out of our lives, out of our lips. Okay, Not just out of my lips, but out of my life, out of your life. And so we're going to um, pick up at this passage in Colossians chapter 3 and see what this uh, results in. This passage that Paul has um, really highlighted the, the person of Christ. Highlighting the person of Christ in the book of Colossians. And um, just a, a little side note, just so that we're all uh, aware, this is the point at which a cult will go off on a trail and uh, uh, demote Christ, not elevate Christ in one way or another, put him into neutral or demote Christ, the person of Christ. And so that's how we understand what a cult is really all about. They've diverted from the teaching of Christ. Saying, well, he's, he's a good teacher. Or saying he's God, but hey, we all can become gods too. See, that is demoting him in one way or another. Or even just saying, let's just rule this thing of deity out. Uh, so, we want to be a church here at Parkside Bible Fellowship and be a people who are promoting the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Okay? And this passage is really actually going to bring us into a very practical aspect of the Christian life. And so it's important that we understand how theology is critical that you understand, that I understand theology so that what can happen? Growth can happen in, in very practical ways. But I've got to be founded on the rock. That's on Christ. I've got to be founded on Him as my foundation. Okay? Just what's happened here with Trevor. Okay? If you noticed, earlier on, it was like, hey, I'm a Christian. But yeah, I got a really rotten attitude towards mom and dad. And really, I, I don't really want to go to church. Right? And here now comes God's working to bring alive the truths of God so that faith can then grow. And it's not that, you know, Trevor went through a, a 12-month course on, on theology. But, nonetheless, that's still important that that's what he's growing from. That's what you and I, if we're saying we're Christians, that's what we grow because we're in the Word. We're learning more about who Christ is. And this is, a, this is the adventure of life. 
I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, it's not like we're on this boring old merry-go-round called life. Just going, here we go around and around again. No, it's with Christ. It's, it's the adventure of walking with him and seeing what he will do, how great and mighty he is, how powerful he is. Obviously, how loving and gracious and merciful he is. So, here's what we're going to do to understand this wellspring of thanksgiving is here in the Word of God with the person of Jesus Christ. And it starts where in verse 12 here, Colossians 3. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, it all belongs, what we will read of, all belongs to those who are chosen of God. Whatever background you have, you cannot take out an eraser and erase out chosen. You cannot erase out chosen. You cannot re- erase out election. You can't erase those out. They're there. It's Here's what God has done. It shows how great and mighty God is. Here's God's choosing you. God's work of choosing you. It points out the truth of election. God's work of granting you faith. That's a gift. Do you understand that? You didn't dream it up. You didn't dream up, oh, I I think I need to repent. No, that's a gift that's granted by God. Faith and repentance, right? God's work of bringing you into His family through faith. What does God do in that way? When He hears the response of faith in a person's life, God justifies that person. That means He declares you what? Righteous. He declares you righteous. And so it is. And then... Here we go. We, he's adopted you into his family as a, as a believer. You're, you're adopted into his family. It's amazing. He canceled out your debt. You, you look back in ch- chapter 2 of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He nailed that debt, my debt, your debt. He nailed it to the cross The debt's been paid. Hallelujah. What a savior. Okay. And that's one of the responses of the gospel. When we hear the gospel, we ought to be saying, hallelujah. What a savior. You don't have to shout it like me, but you ought to be saying it and understanding what that is. You're praising God for it. And this is something we don't do once a year or twice a year. We do it consistently. We need to be doing it day after day after day. So, and here in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going, really, we're trying to cover verses 12 through 17 today. We come again to consider what God has done. Not how good you are, not how good I am, or how good we are collectively as a church. No, how good God is in what He's done, in what God has given us in Christ. He's, in a sense, I, I picture this as one big present. And you open up the present, and inside are the presents that you, for the rest of your life you're going to be enjoying and, and opening and recognizing as precious. But the big present is Jesus Himself. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So this morning we look at four of these if you want to follow along in the outline that's provided in your in your bulletin, 
Um, if you need a Bible, I didn't mention this, but the Bible in front of you in the pew, please uh, open that up to page 984, and you can follow along in Colossians chapter 3 there. Okay, So, we start with this first one. Okay, In Colossians chapter 3, starting verse uh, 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's your... That's what he's declared you. You're holy. You're righteous. Here you are. Not just holy, but holy and beloved. There's many times in your life and mine where you don't necessarily feel that. Oh, I'm, I wake up and I feel holy. Don't necessarily feel that. But guess what? God, God has declared you this way. That's what he's declared you as a child of God. You're justified in his sight. That's what he says you are, holy and beloved. Or in other places, holy and blameless. And right away we all know, oh, but I'm, I do this and I do that and I do this. Well, guess what the Christian life is about? Here's your position. Now start matching that position in your practice. Here's your practice day after day. Your practice. Oop, there I go down again. Oop. But each day, I'm growing in faith. Okay? So, today, you have a chance to grow by how you respond to life situations. Okay? How are you going to respond? How will you respond? So, a big issue and theme of our morning here is respond in thankfulness. That's what we want to do. So number one, God's best provisions for changing times. God's best provisions for changing times. You know, um, we all uh, go through wardrobes, right? This is all about clothing yourself in Christ. You, how you clothe yourself. We all like to dress up, especially like at uh, Resurrection Sunday. Dress up in our Easter whatever, and all, Christmas time and, and all that. Um, we dress up. And here we have, this is about our new clothes that God has given to us. Okay? And in this chapter, many of you are familiar with it, but there's a principle in the chapter. It's a put off, first part of chapter 3. Here's what you put off. Don't wear that. Get rid of that. Put it off. Now put this on. Okay? Simple thing. Put off, put on teaching. And I like to think that God came and in His mercy and goodness and love, He found me in my mess, in my filth, and in my nakedness, and He clothed me in His righteousness, number one. And now as a, now as a holy and beloved one, I now need to put on what He's given me. Here it is. Right? The wardrobe... He's given to Christians never changes. Do you realize that the, the, the same things we're told to put on here, the saints of old were told to put it on. It never changes. It's not like you need to go looking for something new. Got it? You don't have to go looking for something new. Here it is. God tells you in His Word. Put this on. And this is the best dressed way to go. <laughs> this is the best dressed way to go. So put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Putting on a heart 
if you will. It's this is here's what we're to suit up in. I, I uh, it was good to see another one of our high school football players and our high school cross country runners. They're going to put on their uniform. Um, Tristan's not going to put on Wyatt or uh, Austin's football equipment to go cross country running. Neither is Wyatt or Austin going to go put on the cross country shorts and jersey on for football. Okay? They don't do that. Here's what we put on. Here's the team I'm on. Here's what I dress in. You're a Christian. What are you dressing in? And so the heart refers to the inward essence of the man, the seat of his or her emotions, right? And there are five heart parts that we want to put on. Number one, compassion. It's tenderness shown to others. Compassion. Showing concern for others. Not simply having warm feelings. Oh, I I really have warm feelings toward you. Not simply that. No. Taking action with those that sense that you have of demonstrating compassion. Have concern for others that would lead you to action. That's compassion. Here's the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Here's the story of Jesus. He came. He knew what we needed. We needed a perfect sacrifice and He came and He was the perfect sacrifice. And He's the perfect God-man. Okay, so put on compassion. Think of that. You know, here's a week in front of us now. Think of, okay, maybe Monday we think of compassion. Or maybe all week we think of compassion. And then next week we take on the next one. Second, put on a heart of kindness. A friendly, helpful approach to everyone. Why? Because of what God's done in your life. You know, we think of the world that we live in. And a lot of us get riled up with the news and what's happening. Even, not, not over in Turkey, but even in the United States. Saying, here's what's going on. And we get mad. We get bothered. We get depressed. Everything's going to, you know, down the drain, right? Kindness is what the world needs right now. Think of that. Kindness is what we need. We keep ourselves safe and secure, but kindness is such an appropriate covering of my heart and your heart. Kindness towards others. Number three, put on a heart of humility. That's what Jesus, again, here's Jesus. All this is about Jesus, if you hadn't figured it out. His humility. Being able to see yourself, listen, being able to see yourself as a beggar before God and you found you found the bread of life. That's humility. Okay? And you're trying to go and you want to share that, that resource, that treasure with others. It's humility. I realize who I am before God. And not just that I realize who I am before God, but I realize who God is more and more and more about His holiness and His righteousness and His amazing perfection. Seeing God alone as great. Seeing God alone as worthy of my love and devotion, of your love and devotion. Okay? Then number four, 
uh, put on a heart of gentleness or meekness. It's the idea, just like many of you folks, you've been involved with, uh, with having a horse. You need to, you know, help break that horse. You know, maybe you auctioned, you know, got a, a wild horse at the auction or something. You gotta learn how to break him. You break that horse, and now that horse, big and strong as it is, is gentle enough for your child or your son or daughter to get on that horse and ride him. That's the idea behind this word gentleness or meekness where you, with your strengths, your abilities, yes, your God-given strengths and abilities that you submit to the King of Kings, that you lay them at His feet. You lay them down there and say, God, please use these in my life. Use it for your glory. And number five, patience. Put on a heart of patience. That attitude or approach that uh, towards life that holds forth the hope of my situation improving. You know, what, what Trevor mentioned about once he got sick, you know, it's, it's hard to be patient with things. Um, many of you, you've been in the hospital. You've been, you know, down on your back in the hospital bed or at home on your bed at home and can't get up and can't get moving. You understand that. Um, it's hard to be patient, but that's, that's where God enters in and, and helps us. We, we have this hope that things will get better. I realize that, you know, um, death is at the door. Death, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, but death is at the door knocking, right? You know, saying, here, here's death. And, and looking beyond to the fact that Jesus conquered death. Okay? That's not some pie in the sky story, my friend. Jesus conquered Satan and he conquered death so that thousands, millions, hundreds of millions who have put their faith in Christ can say, I'm, I'm facing death. Some of these stories we hear from the Middle East, they have already died. And they died looking to their Savior. So, the, the attitude of patience, the approach of patience, that's, this is what we are to put on. It's ours to put on. Because He's provided it. Okay? Now it gets more interesting. After these five, we say, okay, um, I think I can you know, do pretty well in that with, with God's help, obviously. I, I want to put these, these five items on and wear these. Apply them into my life, in my heart. But now, <laughs> look at verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. This is what God intends to be the outflow of being suited up. If you're suited up in these five ways, now here's the outflow of it. Start bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Do we understand that? Bearing with one another is 
is, again, similar to what we already read about compassion. Just putting up with someone in a loving, compassionate way. Not being condescending. Oh, you poor soul. (laughs) No. Bearing with them. Coming alongside of them. That idea of being an encouragement. Okay? Not letting another's weakness or shortcoming keep you from interacting with them. That's simple, basic Christianity. Okay? But now it goes on to the next one. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Folks, this is, this is getting really deep down into your heart and my heart now. And many times we throw up the defense saying, oh, I, I would never forgive that. I don't know how you could. I would never forget that. Forgive that. I want you to, and again, this is something that we all ought to be more and more familiar with. But turn to Matthew 18. You can keep your finger in uh, Colossians 3 there, but turn to Matthew 18. Um, Peter coming to the Lord saying, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, hey, let's stretch this out. Let's exaggerate this. That's what he's doing. (laughs) So, we're supposed to be ready to forgive. And so for this reason, Jesus tells the story, the kingdom of heaven may be compared in verse 23, Matthew 18, compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. And again, many of you have heard messages in other churches or online or in books or whatever. This is an un payable debt. It's impossible to pay that debt back. Okay? 10,000 talents. That's something that, you know, the, the typical Jew had no... It's like, don't even... Can't even figure that one out. But the point is, in it we can get by with saying, it could not be paid back. Folks, that's... If we graded everyone here on their spirituality on your own without Christ's intervention, the, the top in the class would fail. The top person in the class of religion would fail. Do you understand that? That's why we need a Savior. You need a Savior no matter how good you are. You need a Savior. Why? You're in debt. You're in debt. You know, we used to say up to your ears. Baloney, that's baloney. You're in debt up to, you know, the, the planet Jupiter and beyond. You're in debt to God. That's how perfectly holy He is. And that's how amazing Jesus is, my friend. Well, verse 25, since He did not have the means to repay the king, his Lord, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Well, they weren't going to collect the whole debt back by selling his family. They said, well, let's just do this. Here you go. Let's sell it off and call it good. 
The slave, therefore, falling down, verse 26, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Not going to happen. You cannot pay back this debt. But that's what his effort was. He said, Oh, I'll pay this back. The only thing that would work is verse 27. The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him. Let that sink in. Released him. You're free to go. Released. Pardoned. And he forgave him the debt. And verse 28 tells us that it didn't really get through to him because that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owned him a hundred denarii. Now, that's an amount that can, can be understood and, and figured out. It's like, here's a couple of months' wages. Okay, great. He owes me that amount. But what happens? He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. And so his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. And we're supposed to get it there. This has already been said. Right? And he was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved, came and reported to their lord, the king, all that had happened. Then summoning him, the king, his lord, said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. That's what God does. But here's the warning. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I have had mercy on you? That's, that's where we have to go, my friend, when you face something that is so overwhelming and you can't handle it. You need to go back to this. What has God forgiven you? What has God forgiven you of? And a lot of us in this day and age, we just figured, well, you know, he forgave me of this and this and this. And it's not a big deal. But I know I'm a sinner. We kind of do that kind of argument in our minds. It's not that big of a deal. I just told a lie. I just did this. I cheated. The, you know, hey, get over it. Let it go. If we're going on that basis, then God's holiness is not a big deal then. You with me? It's like that. It's no big deal. And so we make God into what? We make God into our image with that kind of thinking. What we need to do is stop that thinking and go with what the Bible says. God is perfectly holy. He is perfectly righteous. And we are at His mercy. If you have not yet come to faith in Christ, you will face Him in your, on your own on your own two feet. You'll face Him on your own. And you will not survive that. There will be hell to pay. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. The punishment for sin poured out on a perfect Savior. And those who run to Him for refuge, who run to Him for belief, they're saved. They're pardoned. And then they go and pardon others. No, it's not easy. But they go and they say, yeah, you know what? Because of what Jesus did, I need to go and forgive this person. I can do that. 
So, look at verse 35 in Matthew 18. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You say, whoa, God doesn't do that. God's all right. God loves everyone. Stop. That's wrong thinking. We have to let this, this passage speak to our hearts about this issue. It's not my idea. It's not anyone else's idea. It's from the Word of God. Here's what it says. If you don't have a forgiving spirit, maybe it's because you've not been forgiven and you don't understand what it means to be forgiven. Do you understand what eternity is? I can't wrap my mind around eternity. Can you? But it's forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what the Bible says hell is about. That's what the Bible says heaven is about. And Jesus came to open up the doors for you to go through. He himself is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. Okay? So, that's what... This points out the truth behind Matthew 18. When we say, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, back in Colossians 3 now, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So this brings forth again this truth from Matthew 18. We don't forgive each other because they got to, it's like, uh, let's think of this. They've got to earn my forgiveness. Sometimes we, we act that way towards others. Well, they're, they're not quite good enough. They don't measure up. And so what am I doing? What am I? I'm becoming the judge, aren't I? I'm, I'm not the judge. But I, I'm supposed to be the beggar who's found the source. And I, I've been forgiven, so I need to pass that along. Be ready to. So, got to do the forgiveness aspect out of love. Put on love. That's what it says in verse 14, back in Colossians 3, right? See it there? Verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on love. That's how you and I can demonstrate this issue of forgiveness. This is all, is what we know is the gracious provision of God. It perseveres and this is what is enduring. I, I like this phrase. Uh, it's in this, what we're to put on is enduringly fashionable. Okay? It's colder out, so you want, you know, warmer clothes and all that. So, but here, for the, the Christian, this is what will endure for all times and all situations. We're going to run through these next Three, in a quick fashion. Number two, God's best protection. Number two, God's best perfect, uh, protection. I'm sorry. God's best protection for all the stormy times. What is that? Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know, we can forecast the weather conditions, say, yep, it's going to snow this week or whatever, but we can't always predict what will come, relationally speaking, each and every day because we're in this sin-filled, sin-sick world. Christians have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. It's a done deal. 
we have peace with God. Right? But, you and I, if we're not careful, we can lose out on the peace of God if we aren't in fellowship with Jesus. This peace of Christ, it serves, the Bible says here, it rules in our hearts. It's like the umpire of our hearts. His peace calls all the shots, all the plays. Here's the rules. And the peace of God serves as the umpire so that His peace would dominate in your thinking. And notice it says, to which we've been called in one body. So it's not just individual, it's the body of Christ that should show forth a peace in their hearts. Peace with Christ. So the church is to be characterized by His peace. So that despite what's going on in the world, with all the chaos going on there, the church can stand and say, you know what? We're going to conquer these things like worry. We're going to conquer these things called, like things like uh, fear. We're going to conquer the the uh, the anxiety that dominates in my mind. And you know, we're going to conquer it. Why? Because of what Christ has accomplished. As His peace rules in Christians' lives, it ought to be spilling over into the church. And then, and then, what does it say in verse fifteen? Look at it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Okay? Thank-filled hearts are the result of suiting up in this wardrobe. And His peace is the best uh, guardian of your heart. Okay? John 16.33, if you're taking notes, John 16.33. These things, I, Jesus said, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, do not fear. I have overcome the world. Again, even what Trevor said about in, in regards to his testimony, you know, being able to, Say, uh, you know, if, if it had to happen again, I'd do it again. Because here's what resulted in it. Well, that, somewhere along the line, there's, there's a peace that's settled in his heart or in your heart in dealing with the issues of life. Why? Because Christ resides there. Okay? Then, number three, in verse 16, we see God's best package deal for the moment. Every moment to follow. And that's the Word of God. The word of Christ. It says that specifically here. In verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I would like to, um, I do believe that this is really being, you know, we'd be able to interpret this as meaning the gospel. The gospel. It's the word of Christ. He came preaching the gospel. Okay? Let it be at home in your hearts. And honestly, folks, listen. The absence of this in my life or your life, this issue of God's Word being at home in my heart, the absence of His Word at home in my heart is the reason for my weak condition as a Christian or as the church in the United States. This is why there's a weak, a weak condition because the Word of God doesn't take high priority. We want the experience. We want the feelings. You know, we love the music concerts and all that. Well, th- those can be fine. 
But being in the Word of God is unparalleled. You can't match it with anything. Being in the Word of God is what you need to grow. And so, if we leave out the Word, then of course we're going to be weak. Of course we'll get blown away by the storms of life. Elevate the priority of His Word so that in all you're doing, all your relationships, all the events and activities, His Word is your guide, your counselor, the lens that you look through in life. He desires that you abide in His Word, that you remain there. Number four, God's best prescription for whatever you face. I know they kind of overlap each other, but this is God's prescription on a daily basis. Here it is. In what, whatsoever you do, you know, do it all in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. See it there in verse 17. Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So that all is done for Him. You, where, you know, all of you, you work in different places. And, and think of that. Think of the, the, the picture of the light of Christ shining where you work. How you respond to people at work. Okay? And, and take that to heart and say, I want to do all that I do recognizing He's my true boss. He's my true employer. <laughs> He's the one I want to please. He's the one I want to honor. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink. That's taking it down to the basic issue of life. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Giving thanks through Him, Jesus, to God the Father. This is the best prescription. God's given us His best in these items. And yes, Scripture is full of ways that we are called to respond. And I'd like to close with this. In Hebrews 13, mark it down. Well, it's in your outline there. What's my best? Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says, it's our sacrifice of praise. What is that? Well, it's the fruit of lips. The fruit of your lips, giving thanks, ongoing, continual, giving thanks to His name. Well, it's what He's all about. It's everything that He is, giving thanks to His name. And then it adds in verse 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Okay. I, I know, I know that the Holy Spirit will uh, work these truths into our lives if we've received them in faith. We receive these things in faith. He'll do His work. And you'll notice, you'll notice that you're tracking, you, you and I need to be tracking with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Don't stiff arm His work. We've done, all of us have stiff armed the work of the Holy Spirit way too much. We need to welcome the work that He's doing within to make us holy, to make us Christ-like, and demonstrate it at home. Do it at home. Here's where you start. At home. With your spouse. Think of it. You know, when Christians don't follow this, well, yep, there's another marriage that's gone to pot. Gone down and messed up. Here's another. Why? Because 
truths have not been applied properly. We need His help. He is the wonderful counselor. He's given us His word, not in vain. He's given us His word for a purpose, to help you and I live for His glory. If you just close your Bibles now and just listen to this. This is a, an article that I, I want to read to close our time with. It's by one of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp. And Paul David Tripp is a Bible teacher, a marriage counselor, a, um, a writer, pastor. He writes this about what we've just talked about. He titles this article, Don't Forget. We all do it, probably every day. It has a much bigger impact than we realize. The scary thing is, we barely recognize that we're doing it. What is this thing we all tend to do? We forget the generosity of God. In the business and self-centeredness of our lives, we forget how much we have been blessed by grace. The fact that He blesses us when we deserve nothing except for wrath and punishment. All that fades from our memories like a song whose lyrics we once knew but now cannot recall. Every morning, every morning, God's generosity greets us in at least a dozen ways. But we barely recognize it as we frantically prepare for our day. And when we lay our exhausted heads down at night, we often fail to look back on the many gifts that dripped from God's hands into our little lives. When you forget the generosity of God, you exist with a sense of entitlement and have a constantly growing list of demands. Ingratitude and disappointment begin to dominate your heart and shape your life. Something else happens when you forget the generosity of God. You begin to treat others self-righteously. Since you believe that what you've earned is what you deserve, and since you take credit for what only His blessings could produce, it's easy to withhold generosity from others. Proudly, you think that what others are experiencing is what they deserve. When you forget the generosity of God, your heart is not tender not moved with compassion by the sorry plight of others, you forget that you are more like than unlike your needy brother or sister, failing to acknowledge that neither of you stands before God as deserving. This Thanksgiving season, will you remember to remember the generosity of God? Doing so produces upward worship, inward humility, and outward generosity. Give thanks, be humble, be generous, because the blessings you receive from the Lord are not what you deserve. Let's not forget Parkside Bible Fellowship. Let's not forget the truths behind the story that Jesus told us in Matthew 18. These truths in Matthew 18 continue showing itself true on both sides of the issue, whether you forgive or are unforgiving. They still show themselves true today. So let's put on, let's suit up in what He's given us and let this be our theme for today.
It will be our theme through the preaching in December. Thanks be to God for the gift of His Son, Jesus. And we'll start that next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we really want to give you thanks. When we are caught in our mind to focus on you, that's a really, really good thing. And Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in how people will respond now as they get up and go. I pray that... um, By your Holy Spirit, dear God, work in the lives of people that do not yet know you. Cause them, Lord, to repent. Cause them to acknowledge their sin. Cause them, Lord, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, dear Lord. And please, dear God, for the sake of your glory, help your children to grow in their faith, to put on Christ-likeness and to be ready to bear with one another and forgive one another. Lord, we've got so much to learn, so much to grow in. Please help us in these ways. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Please be glorified in what we do now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.